bullshit, it's all just um gay politics. America's gotten kind of whack, but we're not gonna let it go down like that, cause we got a dumb gay podcast, a dumb gay political podcast. We probably don't have all the facts, but we got opinions and we'll probably backtrack. That's why it's a dumb gay podcast, a dumb gay political podcast. Ooh, it's all shit, it's all shit. It's all shit. It's all shit. I mean, are we gonna die? I don't know. I, I, you're extreme. I am extreme. It's all shit. Uh uh. This shit is bananas. B A A A A S. This shit is Trumpanas. T R U M P A N A N A S. What? I don't know. I don't even know. Hey everybody, welcome to Dumb Gay Politics. I'm Julie. And I'm Brandy. And this is the podcast where we talk about the week in politics, like we're talking about reality TV. And this week, the reality TV show was actually a game show <laughs> called Jeopardy. Oh my god. If you guys aren't 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 on the Patreon, I don't know what to tell you because because we are so deep in Jeopardy, mm-hmm. nobody should be interested. No, no. No. Apparently now you you took the anytime test. We are <laughs> we are legitimately seriously going to get you on Jeopardy. Yes. Now, I might be a pawn for Madame Odio. Right. I could be a person who guesses three times, get two times wrong, and at the end is negative 200 and doesn't get to do Final Jeopardy, that's possible. Well, you will not do that because I will single-handedly strangle you. <laughs> and by that, I mean I will strangle you with one hand behind the podium. You have to have at least one dollar. One tiny, tiny hand. One tiny pterodactyl hand. <laughs> you have to have at least one dollar so you can go into Final mm. Jeopardy, bet nothing, because that's the rule, and then... When they ask the question, which queen was it who beheaded her own father? <laughs> you write your mother and then you write, please subscribe to my podcast, Dumb Gay Politics. <laughs> That's End it. scene. End scene. Period. And then the host, who I guess is going to be Mike Rogers, the sexual harasser, is then going to go, <laughs> and you have no money. <laughs> or Maya Bialik will be even more oh, condescending. Yes. And then she'll say, weren't, weren't you on my TV show? And you'll go, well, you're hosting this now, bitch. So what do you want to say? Well, she's sharing the Jeopardy hosting time. But for anyone who, like, honestly, we went, we did a deep dive that really no one needs to hear on our Patreon. But Julie is good at Jeopardy. She legitimately is good. And she's only getting better because anyone can get better from watching it. But she started it really, really good and strong. And I guess one time when we were super on drugs and super drunk, (laughs) she took the anytime test Mm -hmm. and probably on a whim Mm -hmm. when there are rules, meaning I have to be over her shoulder controlling everything. <laughs> and so she, so now apparently that was a year ago, a year ago, September. So mm-hmm. we have one more month until she can take the anytime test again. Yep. And now we're signed up for the Jeopardy newsletter, mm-hmm. which is what you have to do. If anyone out there is going to try and get on this train, you want to audition for Jeopardy. Yeah. You've got to go make an account yeah, I mean, to be a J contestant, you have J, J um, punctuation mark. You have to, exclamation point. You have to go make your register, make your profile, make your username. Password. Password. Like we need another fucking troll garden. We That's don't. probably why my personal ID was uh, data leaked. 
Probably. You know. I'm sure. And then the first time you didn't even sign up for the for the newsletter, so we never even found about we never even found out about the goddamn online audition test. Exactly, exactly. So now we're we're, we've checked the box. We will get the newsletter. You will take the real test in January, but you first have to take the anytime. Now, I don't even think you have to, but you're going to take the anytime test again in September, a month yeah. from today. Right. Everybody join the Patreon before then. So we, we're going to take it live on the Patreon. And I'm going to hopefully get on there. You know what I mean? And I'm going to be telling an interesting story, some interesting, fun story. Um, you know, about the time that the house burned down or we talked to Kamala Harris or... You know, the, the other Julie Goldman who's the film producer. You know, just like interesting tidbits about, about one's life. You know what we could really use? We could use people's um, fake stories. Because you have to fill in. Uh, like, I remember when okay. I tried out for Hollywood Squares, mm -hmm. I tried to pretend that I wrote children's books. Right. So you mean, like, I could be like... Um, uh, uh, oh, so it says here that you once had a run-in with a celebrity in the street. <laughs> that, that's true, Mike. Um, I once actually was, I got out of my car, you know, when you parallel park and you then open your car door and then another car comes and it goes really fast. Well, this car came by really fast and it blew my door off. And I was like, what are you doing? And then the car went and they got out of the car and guess who it was? Jamie Presley. Oh, my God. No. It was Nick Jonas. <laughs> oh, my. Really? Yes. That's incredible. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I'm not like one. I have to say. And here's the thing, Mike. You know, I didn't really think. I, I, I like the Jonas Brothers. I like Nick Jonas Hine. And but then when he got out of that car, I was like, damn. <laughs> you look good. You are fine. You are fine. <laughs> You're so dumb. <laughs> yeah, that was stories, it. Stories like that. That was it. Who did I see? <laughs> what was the celebrity I saw on my parallel park story at the fucking hair salon? You thought it was Jamie Presley. What did I think it was Jamie Presley? Jamie King. Kennedy. It was King. James King. James King. Now James I have King. two almost mm. Jamies in like, right. like thought of it in the past. So it was that I that time I thought it was James King and she would not fucking move. She was standing. No, she was a bitch. She was a bitch to you. <sighs> I mean, sorry, if you're listening, James King, um, well, then I should have been nicer. Yeah, I had to read her for Phil for changing her name back to Jamie. Right, exactly. Like, don't stand in the corner while somebody's trying to park in the thing. And, you know, you're standing there and I can't park while you're there. And it's already hard enough because it's parallel parking. And it's um, just don't look she, at me. Get out of the way. She had her door open and you have to put your car up next to the car in front of you in order to back into the spot. She had her door wide open at first and she was just sitting in her car. So I was like. And then I realized it was her and her hair was wet. And she was from in the hair salon. Mm. It's like this baller hair salon. Mm. I was like, oh, God. She so then I, I circled the block talking your ear off. I swear mm. to God, we were literally talking about like voting. It was like probably right <laughs> before the election or something. And then I came back around and now her door is still wide open. Now she's standing in the parallel. She's standing in the parking spot on the right, phone. Right. And I'm like, get out the fucking phone. <laughs> Dumb bitch. <laughs> Have you seen Nick Jonas lately? Yeah, I mean, you could use that story. I give you permission. There's a million of them. There's a million of them. We could, I could come up with a million of them. Oh, well, okay, then we don't need people to send, send suggestions. But when people send stories that have happened to them... Oh, we could do any of them. Then you get, like, a nuance. Now, uh, one, I, hear, I understand that you gave birth mm -hmm, in a car? <laughs> that's right or you could that's say you right. were driving uber oh, good and someone one. gave birth now uh we understand that you drove uh you were in a ride share you were right you were in a ride share 
and someone gave birth in the car? <laughs> That's right. Um, I did the Uber line, you know, the one where you pay $5 less. And if you wait <laughs> and you sit with other people, because I just don't have any money. I thought it's called Uber Share. Wait, Uber what? Share or Uber, Uber Pool. Uber Pool. Yeah, Uber Line. Uh, Mike. <laughs> That's where I do lines in the back of the Uber. <laughs> Mike, I've done that. <laughs> Mike, here's the deal. I'm sitting there um, and this pregnant woman is in the middle. Okay, very pregnant. And I thought, well, okay, whatever. I love being crunched up in the backseat with strangers. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I heard, <laughs> what was that? That was her water breaking, Mike. It went all over the, the backseat, all over my new Nike Air Jordan 1s. Jordan 1s. And Can you believe this, Mike? And it's during COVID. <laughs> I was scared. I had a mask on, and now her fucking pussy water's all over me. Pussy water is drenching the backseat of the car, Okay. <laughs> Now, the the gentleman sitting next to her was not her husband or boyfriend or baby daddy. He was a priest. <laughs> and that was weird. We all felt awkward about that. And so she goes, oh, oh, and she's pushing and pushing and pushing. And I'm like, no, wait. And then we told the driver, go to the hospital. She's just fucking pussy about water everywhere. And she just couldn't. And she's the like, driver said, you're a lesbian. Fucking help her. You know about <laughs> pussy stuff. I don't know what to do with. I don't know what to do. So I was like. Oh Don't no, push, you do. You push. watch you watch a lot of of um botched. You love a surgery show. <laughs> and then she's like, I can't not push, I have to push. And she pushed and pushed. And, and you she were like, even... I see it crowning. <laughs> does anyone have any uh does anyone have a handkerchief? <laughs> and of course the priest did. <laughs> yeah. So the priest right. gave his collar and oh, a okay. handkerchief and was like, Here you go, my child. So now I don't know. It just slid out. And it was the miracle of life. <clears throat> it was the miracle of life. And she, now the you're the godmother. Out. Now I'm the godmother. Yeah. yeah. So, you know. and I said, look, thank you. That is, and it was really, I mean, and it really just changed my life. And we like to tell the story because it's so, um, it's an in story of inspiration, Mike. Mm -hmm. That's a story of inspiration because here we are just strangers, three strangers in a car. We're now we're family. It we need one out. more story. Mm. We can't just have the one strong story. We need another one. So, and we need, you know what? Quite frankly, we need a battalion of good stories because yeah. we, Jeopardy's is the tip of the iceberg, you know? Mm -hmm. Send sure us is. your stories of you and your friends. Who told us a good story recently? Oh, I heard it when I was in, when I was in Vegas. Okay. For my friend Chris's birthday. One of his friends who, um, incidentally worked for the Obama campaign mm. said that she recently had a memory in therapy that she was embarrassed about um, when her and her friends would go to McDonald's after school and they would get fries and they'd drive around and then they would race at people like they were going to run them over. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, and I just feel so wow. bad about it. I can't mm. believe I did that. And she's like, we would really race at people walking across walks and act like we were going to run them over and scare the oh shit my out God, of them. That's, and, <laughs> can you like, imagine? I mean, and I mean, and if you've ever been in a car when you maybe even like all of a sudden you like woke up and saw somebody walking, you know, you've oh, stopped right. short in the mm -hmm. middle of the car. Like, where did this person come from? I almost killed someone. People stop. They don't run in one direction or the other. Oh, they, you freeze. They freeze. Just yeah. like when you're in a car and someone's coming at you and all you can do is just put your brakes right. on. You don't like try to get out of right. the way. Right. Yeah. No, she said she feels bad about it, but that could be a good thing for Mike. That is really good. Well, Mike, um, you know, and I feel bad about it, but uh, in my heyday, 
Uh, my friends and I would go to McDonald's. We'd get French fries. And as we're eating French fries, we would um, drive the car really fast and pretend we're going to hit people in crosswalks. <laughs> we love doing fake you know, hit runs. We just like, enjoyed it. We just enjoyed it. I mean, I feel bad about it now as an adult. But then, boy, did we laugh. We did. We really did laugh. Um, and you know, and we you, throw the fries at them, too. You, <laughs> out the window. <laughs> when you fuck you, we didn't hit you. Loser. Here's we saw you fly. Here's the fry. I think she might have said they did it to like an old lady. And then that was the straw that broke the camera's back oh, for yeah, her mentally when she remembered. Yeah, yeah. Not cute. Not cute. Now, no. Devin Verana, our erotic third, yes. she would she would get drunk with us. And <laughs> and the person that told that story, Devin, incidentally, is was doing that in Texas. Ah, uh, of course. Or maybe she was in Chicago at the time. She worked on the Obama campaign. I love she's actually like a wonderful intelligent thoughtful she's a serious person yeah but you know we're all um pieces of shit when we're teenagers <laughs> we're just pieces of shit there is yeah. not one single yeah. exception yeah there's not one no. maybe there's someone that'd be like i would never race it in an old lady in the crosswalk it's like yeah but you did something else you did, you did something, something else, else. so anyone right. out there with teenagers just that's know right. it's not anyone your fault alive. <laughs> anyone alive that's the thing about everything yeah barring murder rape and and and, and torture Everyone, everyone. But every single teenager is a piece of shit, period. Every, but yes, now Devin, yes. as an adult, as our erotic third, she would get drunk with us and race and like pretend we're going to hit people. For in cars. sure, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why we love Devin. And speaking of, ironically... And that's why we love Devin. <laughs> she sent us basically a collector's edition toy car, okay? Mm-hmm. It's a Smokey and the Bandit 1977 Pontiac Firebird. Ugh. With a Smokey and the Bandit replica belt buckle. <laughs> Still in the package. Yeah. Perfectly. Perfect. Perfect condition. It's I, like something that you'd see in a documentary about like weirdos that go to conventions. <laughs> and then they come across the one guy who's obsessed with Smokey and the Bandit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's me. And then they go to his house and he has a whole room and this car's like on the shelf still in the box. And then he tries to play it off like he's going to sell it for money someday. But he never is, my man. No, he never. He. I never. Right. I am going to. Because you know what he else he never sold? What? His Harry Potter toys. <laughs> Have you ever checked the price on those Harry Potter toys that are still in the box? I have one Harry Potter toy in the box. Because and I haven't checked the price. Because of it, Hagrid or whatever is now out. Yeah. What's the, and ha- the other one's Hagrid, too. We have two Hagrids down there. Mm-hmm. It's a little Hagrid overkill. We've put this I Hagrid know, standing think- in the middle of the, the, the living room when you lived in Sherman Oaks. And we would let Papa Pee Wee pee on it. <laughs> well, I feel... Of all the characters in Harry Potter, when one thinks of who who am I in this movie, I think I'm Hagrid. <laughs> really? Yeah. I think you're more like Ron Weasley, and I never would have before mm. because I didn't like Ron, but now I like Ron because he's in that weird movie, on <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. that weird show about uh-huh. the nanny, yeah. and he's so great in that. And he's great in it, yeah. And he really showed me. Well, that's nice. Well, and then, of course, during Harry Potter, I mean, he shined. He shined, and then at the end, I mean. Did he shine? What, what more can you say? In Harry Potter? Yeah. Ron? Oh, I, I didn't think like so. him. You didn't like I mean, him but I've Ron? only seen like like the first three and there's like nine. Yeah, there's seven of them. Oh, okay. There's seven of them. And then he, yeah, he gets, he's a dick and he's mean to Hermione, but then he doesn't, but he, cause he, he doesn't, he's a, he's a kid. And then she fucking shows him up with the fucking star Quidditch player and he's horrified. Yeah, and then you he made me like watch shit. that on a cruise and I was like, I'm out, I'm out. <laughs> And then, like, someone dies. Like, yeah. Robert Pattinson, like, and dies. Robert Pattinson dies, and a lot of people die at the end. A lot of people. Just like, Jesus. But then he gets it with Hermione at the end. And that's all that matters. <laughs> that is all I that matters. I will have it with Hermione as well. <laughs> now, we've never checked on the price of the Hagrid in the box. No. 
now our 1977 Pontiac Firebird with replica belt buckle will go next to the Hagrid. <laughs> and we were getting one step closer to Julie being on the documentary as the weird collector of things. And one step closer to my dream of buying that actual car. Yeah. I mean, I mean this all came about because of the bullshit on the Patreon talking about like classic cars. Yeah. It's either that car or a DeLorean. She said, Gers, I graduated from high school in 1984. Devin, that's the best year, the year. of all time. Yep. Motherfucker was a senior in high school. Mm. We got Michael Jackson. Wow. I mean, we Purple Rain. Yeah. It's it, every single good movie. Madonna, that all came out in 84. Now, Andy Cohen, when we were on the Andy Cohen show, they tried to act like Darling Nikki and the Purple Rain album was, was more 83, but I beg to defer. It, yeah. it was 84 that that album blew. 84 is the best year. That is why Devin is our erotic third. Yes. Because she knows how to get the fuck down. Like anyone who was a senior in 1984 knows what's up. Period. Period. Yep. Trans Ams were the shizzle. Cracks me up that y'all love these cheese wagons. You all have to have one for the drug den until the real thing from Devin Vrana. That's right. Until the real thing. I can't. Oh, and I you know what, it. Devin? I want it. We're going to look at this next to Hagrid and we're going to imagine you having sex in the backseat <laughs> of this 1977 Pontiac Firebird. <laughs> okay, now it's time for another edition of our Bob Ross <laughs> Icon Series. Every so often we get the opportunity to talk to someone so major that they require an entire episode. Not just one segment. And those are the people that we put in the icon series. They aren't necessarily famous or widely known, but they are iconic and infamous in their own industries. They are agitators who disrupt big business, the uber rich, and the uber powerful on behalf of all of us regular assholes. So without further ado, let's meet our second Bob Ross icon of Forever 21. Hello, I'm Bob Ross. Motherfucking legend. Motherfucking legend. Even if I die, living legend. Look at my reflection. Ain't no second guessing. Always be a legend. A motherfucking legend. Motherfucking legend. You ready to have some fun? Let's do it. We are so excited because today... We are adding another name to our Dumb Gay Politics Bob Ross icon series. Since the inception of this show, we have talked to quite a few influential people. But today is only the fifth time in four years that we're talking to an actual, literal icon. Yes, but our guest today is not just an icon. He's a goddamn American hero and an everyday woman. <laughs> he served in the army for over 20 years and he has like 900 different medals and honors. Now, this on its own wouldn't normally make him an icon to us because, one, we don't know shit about how the military <laughs> works, and two, the only army medal we've ever heard of is the Purple Heart. But there's so much more to this guy than just his military honors. In the history of the White House, there have only been a handful of people who have worked directly for the president that were willing to sacrifice their own reputation and career in the name of protecting democracy and our guest today just happens to be one of oh, yeah. them. And not for nothing, he does have a motherfucking purple heart. <laughs> he mm. sure does. But unfortunately, he did end up losing his career in the White House and in the military, all because he spoke up and told the truth about his boss, the then president, Donald Trump, 
who had tried to use a foreign government to sabotage Joe Biden and thus manipulate a free and fair election, which, by the way, is an impeachable offense, which is why our guest today felt the need to speak up and which ultimately did lead to Trump getting partially impeached. But since then, there's been a pandemic, an insurrection and another impeachment. So we're going to take our 14 listeners back to the summer of 2019 to refresh their memories. Trump was in a full-blown paranoia about the possibility of Joe Biden becoming the Democratic nominee, and Rudy Giuliani was strutting around Washington like some weird Eastern European kingpin who thought he was pulling all the strings. A sitcom actor had just become the president of Ukraine, and even though Putin wasn't happy about it, and Putin and Trump were butt buddies, Trump scheduled a call anyway with the new President Zelensky to congratulate him. During that call, President Zelensky asked Trump for some aid money that Congress had pre-approved for Ukraine, but Trump said he wouldn't send the money unless the new president agreed to help him with the election by digging up dirt on Joe Biden and his son Hunter and all the shit they were getting into in the Ukraine. That's correct. Exactly. And of course, Trump denied everything. But our guest today was on that call and heard the whole damn thing, and he testified in front of Congress to prove it. And in doing so, he changed the course of history forever. And if it wasn't for his bravery, integrity, even in the face of losing everything that he'd worked for his whole life, we'd probably be stuck with Trump as president right now. Gross. So, so without further ado, we are humbled and honored to welcome to the show our newest Bob Ross icon, who, without his sacrifice, there would be no JoJo and Kiki, retired Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. Woo! Hi, Alex. <laughs> Hello, Alex. Wow. <laughs> wow, that was quite an introduction. I, I, I don't know what to say. Uh, I think you guys said it all for me. Oh, my Thanks. God. I don't know. Thank you for coming by. Good night, <laughs> yes, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. OK, yeah. so listen, we're going to talk about your new book and get all your hot takes on the QNANIs and the Capitol insurrection and the shit show in Afghanistan. But first, we need the tea on Trump and that freaking Ukraine call. <laughs> so let's start at the beginning. We know you've told this story a million, a million times. times. But probably not like how you're going to tell it today. Okay, so start and tell us exactly what your position was in the Trump administration. So there I was sitting in the fucking situation. <laughs> uh, oh my God, she is um, doing it. Yeah. Um, so okay, I was the director for uh, I was the director for European Affairs on the National Security Council, which uh, might not make a lot of sense to people, but because they know, know me as lieutenant colonel, which is kind of like, you know, middle middle management. It is? Get promoted. Oh, that's not it even is. like a sexy army title, lieutenant it's colonel? It's got to be. I mean, it's it's where you get to if you've been successful for like about 16 years or so, 16, 17 years. And I was about to get promoted to colonel. That's like a real cool one. Oh, okay. You, the rank looks like a, um, it looks like a, it's an eagle. So it's the coolest uh, looking of all the ranks. Um, oh, cool. But... In the White House, I was serving at a position, I mean, depending on who, uh, how you assess it, anywhere from two to three ranks above that grade. Um, mm. So I was, you don't wear a uniform. You're, you're, you're carrying the uh, title of director for the National Security Council, and you're chairing meetings with deputy assistant secretaries. And uh, for the Department of Defense, it's actually like three ranks because they elevated the deputy assistant secretaries to a three-star equivalent. So I was serving as lieutenant colonel in a three-star general you know, equivalent position uh, and sharing meetings with, with these, these folks. Uh, and I was responsible for uh, Eastern Europe, had Russia, Ukraine, Moldova, Belarus, 
And the that's all eight considered Asia, right? Russia uh, and all so that. I, I like the way I like the way you think, Bobby. <laughs> uh, that's a good slap across the face for the Russians. They like to consider themselves European. Too bad like, they're not Eastern like to, European, yeah. right? I like to point out to them that they're really kind of more Eurasian. They're Asian. And that kind of gets gets under their skin, but um, <laughs> certainly, certainly, Ukraine, Moldova, and Belarus fall into traditionally what's been considered Europe, Eastern Europe, but Europe. Uh, Russia is a massive country with eleven time zones, mm. so it straddles mm. Europe and Asia. Oh, okay, uh, wow, I never knew that. Now, how did you get this job, and how long did you have it? Uh, I got this job uh, by because I I served successfully over the preceding twenty years. Uh, to get to that point, but really, um, if how, the first how does one years, get on the National Security yeah. Council? That can't be it's, easy. It's it's pretty awesome. It's yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah. I gotta tell you. Uh, so the first ten years, roughly, I was an infantry officer, troop leader. That's you know, I I was um, had a platoon as a brand new lieutenant. You know, it's about forty guys. Uh, then a company about one hundred and seventy four guys, one hundred and seventy six, I think actually, mm-hmm. um, and then. You had to do all these kind of developmental things, like you, you, your basic uh, entry-level troop leader type stuff. And then b- about the eight or ten-year mark, you're able to compete for these really niche assignments, uh, including becoming a diplomat. Uh, in the State Department, you have uh-huh. foreign service officers. In the Department of Defense, you have foreign area officers. And I was selected to be a foreign area officer. It's a, it's pretty kind of a, uh, it's not the easiest thing to do. Uh, I was trained in, I already spoke Russian. I was trained in Ukrainian. I went to Harvard for graduate school. They paid for, they paid for it. They gave me a large chunk of money to travel all throughout Russia and the former, um, you know, Eurasia. I went to China. I went to, uh, Turkey, Poland, Ukraine, everywhere. And the whole idea was to basically get kind of a, a lay of the land, understand what was going on, you know, um, get a understanding of what the defense department does, immerse yourself in the culture and stuff like that gaining a lot of expertise. And then mm. straight off, they sent me to Moscow for three years to oh. be an attaché, which oh, is wow. like the, the big, they like straight to the World Series or something. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> three yeah. years in Moscow, though. What's the day to day like there? I mean, uh, if I tell you, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I was assigned there by the Defense Intelligence Agency. Wow. Uh, that the, cool. uh, the job was to observe and report mm. on what was going on. So you could you could kind of figure that one out. Okay, so tell us then what what were what were your day to day duties as the Eastern envoy to the <laughs> National Security Council for Trump? Sure. Very quickly on Ukraine, I mean on on, on uh, Russia, uh, you're a diplomat, so you're interacting with other diplomats. You're traveling throughout the country, getting the lay of land, especially after the uh, Russians decided to wage war against their Ukrainian cousins. Uh, I spent a lot of time on the Russian Ukrainian border watching them and uh, kind of po- poking holes in this idea that it was it was just a simple kind of civil war internal and all that stuff. So that was my job. And then uh, I, based on on those skills, this is you can see the progression. Um, I went to the to the Pentagon and was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs Russia affairs officer. So counseling him on what the Russians were doing. I wrote the authoritative documents. So like what the armies and the Department of Defense uses now to um, meet the challenge of Russia, I wrote those documents. And I was, you know, it, it kind of broke new ground because we were, besides the fact that we were fighting a 15 year campaign against terrorists, and we had forgotten that there are actually countries that you know, are, are, are enduring actors that we 
that that are going to be there after uh, the terrorists go away. Um, so I, I wrote these things, and then based on that, uh, I was asked to join the National Security Council. Wow. So you're, it's one of those things you're asked to join, right? And uh, it's pretty awesome because I had it in my mind, you know, all the way back in about 2013 that this would be something I wanted to do. And then uh, I was on the National Security Council for about a year before things all went haywire, roughly. And now, real quick, you have an identical twin brother who also worked for the Trump National Security Council, right? Now, how the fuck does that happen? <laughs> that, it doesn't. I mean, we were the Vindman twins. We were an anomaly. Yeah. The Vindman uh, twins. The Vindman twins. There we go. Or the NSC twins, actually. They'll be like, oh, the NSC twins. If there isn't a CW show about you guys soon, I don't know what to say. We were the only ones that have, the only twins that ever served there, probably the last ones to ever serve on the National Security Council. (laughs) But, um, and he was an ethics lawyer. Is that correct? He was an an attorney. He, you know, he's a national security lawyer, an ethics attorney. uh, And he kind of, I mean, I have a good theory on this one. He disputes this, but they hired me about eight months before him. Oh, yeah. Directorship, which is, which is a pretty, you know, pretty prestigious. And then like a week before they asked if uh, asked him if he would be interested in joining the National Security Council and his interviews went well. You know, he's he's, he's a sharp guy. But I think when his paperwork came across the NSC, they're like, wait, we already hired this guy. They didn't really do any screening. They didn't yeah. have to really do it on it. Like, oh, yeah. This, why are they sent, why is DOD like sending us this paperwork again? <laughs> yeah, they right. thought they were hiring you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's he's like me, but he's nine minutes younger. So he's a little, uh, he's not as wise. Oh, he's immature. He's immature. Wow. Yeah. He's immature. And yeah. And you're identical, but that's kind of a long. Nine like, minutes is a long time. A big difference. Well, he was, that's because he was a surprise. He was, they did not know there were two of us. No. He's, sometimes I tell him he's an unwanted surprise. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Exactly. <laughs> Now, do you did you guys report to the White House? Was that your day to day? Like eight a.m. Got to go to the White House now to my job. Yeah. So I mean, uh, it's not eight a.m. It's more like six a.m. to like oh. about ten or eleven. But yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, I'm glad. I don't want to think <laughs> yeah. that this is some you, you easy get to shit. work out of the the uh, you know NSC. You know, you That's might cool. you might get shortchanged by some other departments and agencies, but you get your your money's worth yeah. out of the NSC. It's pretty awe inspiring walking in there every day. I bet it, it, doesn't, it doesn't wear off. You're like yeah. Damn. Damn, I'm right in this thing. I mean, could you, uh, I know, yeah, cool. yeah, it is so cool. It's yeah. so crazy. Yeah. I supposedly shared the same office that uh, Henry Kissinger had <gasps> like way back in the day. That wow. Is and even if you didn't, just go ahead and, and say mean, it. Obviously. He was there. Yeah, he yeah. walked around. <laughs> yeah, His waft was there. Yeah. Some I mean, old guy told me that that was the office. So I'm going to, I'm going to ride. Take that it. Way. Take it. Own that. Okay. So walk us through the infamous call with Trump and Ukraine, the Ukraine dude. Is this something you did all the time? Are you on these calls? I'd like you to do us a favor, though. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta do it with the accent. I'd like you to do us a favor, though. Did you did you like Trump? Uh, speaking uh, of, I mean, I I certainly was was uh, I was concerned about the, the direction he was taking this country uh, and the the way he was breaking relationships with our allies. Uh, but that doesn't really make a difference, frankly, because the good thing about the military is that we have a chain of command. And as long as the pre- president, you know, issues lawful orders, right. you, 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 know, you right. shut up in color. Right. Right. So that's, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it's, it's not that hard. You know, you might you you work for bosses in the military sometimes that you disagree with, but they're your uh, superiors and you, you, you shut up in color. You give them the best 
advice you can and they make the decisions. I would uh, say bo then, bosses, period. Yeah, I would say bosses. You know, yeah. that's you just, true. You're like, there's my boss. He's a douche. I mean, you saw him or I mean, did you what was your impression just on a personal level with him? We just imagine being around him and thinking like, wow, he does. He is interesting, but he's horrifying. Yeah. I didn't have any interaction with him. The one time, like directly, I, I said to him, you know, we exchanged like I prepared all his talking points, his background papers. Okay. I prepped the National Security Advisor and that kind of stuff. And of course, the phone calls, I I, uh, I was there for those. But um, I do have a claim to fame in that he invited me to the Oval Office and I declined his invitation. Oh, my God. Right. Oh. Just like the, it, uh, when he invites I'm you, like, that's I'm when you sorry. know he's I'm trying to run you. I'm watching my hair at that moment. Oh, I'm that, watching my hair. That's amazing. Right. That's great. That's great. <laughs> That needs to I, be added to your title letter. It was after the inauguration, you know, with it. So we were going to debrief him and he, he invited me to the Oval Office. Like you get this formal invita invitation uh, and I'm like, mm, sorry, can't do it. I'm, I'm tied up. Right, <laughs> That's then. great. I honestly put it on on your resume right under your title. Yep. Like retired Lieutenant Colonel re re rejected. rejected Trump, yep. rejected an, an yeah. invitation to the Oval Office, declined yeah. an invitation yeah. to the Oval Office. Yeah. So you always did these calls. That's like a normal thing that you did. You prepared so talking it, points that he never, of course, read because he doesn't read. That's true. <laughs> I, I, did, I prepared him for a couple of these calls. Um, he's you got to remember, he's generally disinterested in anything where there's not a, tra a transactional benefit. And he was the good thing about my first year is that he really didn't could care less about what was going on. Mm. So he was like, you know, burning bridges with allies. <laughs> He was, uh, you know, denouncing like closely held relationships and kind of yeah. s slapping sanctions on countries uh, or not, not even san sanctions. I think that's most of the sanctions he, he levied were actually because the, he actually listened to the recommendation of, of his um, of, of the people that were on his staff. But, uh, you know, lever levying tariffs on, let's say, for instance, China that then went boomerang back to us and stuff like that. So that's the kind of stuff he was engaged in from a foreign policy perspective. And then just kind of uh, driving wedges between uh, the American citizenry and just constantly throwing hand grades. So that was the good thing is that he was not really all that concerned about what I was uh, my my area, and I could work through kind of the ex my existing authorities through the existing authorities of the departments and agencies because you have you know the president can't be responsible for making all the decisions. Those decisions are usually delegated down to cabinet level and uh, other senior officials. So that was what most of my first year was like. Uh, until, you know, I like the way you pronounce Giuliani uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and his uh, cohort, Giuliani and his cohort uh, kind of came up with this idea of, tarn you know, looking to um, upend free and fair elections mm -hmm. and kind of tip the scales in their favor by extracting, uh, you know, these investigations against, uh, you know, Hunter Biden and, and, and I guess implicitly um, Joe Biden, which was mainly a distraction, actually, because... It was coming from like a, a freak show and every time the ukrainians would ask we would be like don't worry about that that's not official policy that's just you know somebody being a political actor trying to you know ingratiate themselves with the president mm. uh, until it wasn't until you know government officials were drawn into this and that yeah, was the first because time it was like those two gross guys right that oh, were like right. with guliani lev parnas yeah and yeah yeah right that other dude and it's just like who are these uh, fucking guys no one cares unfortunately those guys were effective in, in getting um you know in uh, creating the basis on which that 
that weirdo uh, Don Jr. tweeted, mm. and finally that's what ended up getting Ambassador Ivanovich removed. Is like you know it was th- those guys could be dismissed, Giuliani could be dismissed, but once uh, once the the um, President Spawn kind of tweeted uh, that that you know put an end to uh, Ambassador Ivanovich, and that started affecting our our uh, ability to work with the Ukrainians mm. to advance U.S. interests. You know, it's yeah. not like we were just helping the. The Ukrainians to be altruistic. We were trying to advance U.S. interests and U.S. policy. You had this hold on on security assistance, and this you know this this drug deal for an investigation in exchange for um, White House visit and the uh, release of the hold on funds and all that kind of stuff. And I'd already, already reported some of this on, on July 10th, like two weeks before. I was like, uh, Gordon Sondland, um, he monster. was like, hey, oh, yeah. hey, I got this great idea. Why don't we get Zelensky in a White House visit, all he has to do is deliver a, um, a investigation into Biden. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. And I'm like uh, arguing with this, with this guy that's an ambassador. This was purely a political maneuver against uh, a, a, a political appoint, uh, potential political uh, opponent of Trump. But the other aspect of this that people are often miss, so you know that's dirty. That's dirty politics. Uh, that's you know tipping the scales, uh, using pres- uh, 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 It was a b- abuse of power uh, mm-hmm. to withhold funds that were authorized by Congress right. uh, in order to press the Ukrainians to do this investigation. But the other thing to remember is that Ukraine is in a goddamn state of war with Russia. <sighs> Russians yeah. are killing Ukrainians on the border, and a country is going to do whatever it needs to in order to defend itself uh, mm-hmm. to get the resources it needs to defend itself. Mm-hmm. Think about this from their perspective, delivering it, even if you're like, you know, you want to do the right thing. All you have to do is announce an investigation into somebody who's not in power. And then you get your $400 million and you get your White House visit. That a lot of folks would have buckled much, much more quickly in order to protect the security of, of Ukraine. Fortunately, Zelensky was like, wait, that's you know, this has got all sorts of blowback possibilities. So, I mean, that's the bottom line is that, you know, there was no there, there was just like the probability of this being being like uh, honest and free investigation uh, that would then deliver goods on an American citizen. How many different ways is that wrong? Even if it wasn't the at the time, I didn't even necessarily kind of think about it as, you know, Joe Biden as a political opponent. It's just like the president was asking for dirt. Mm-hmm. on an American citizen from mm-hmm. a foreign power. When you're sitting in that room and you're in that phone call, there's a, like other people with you in the room. Where was Trump and where were you? Like, mm-hmm. were you sitting next uh, to him? So, no, uh, Trump does not get up that early. He, he was notorious for basically being in the Oval Office until like 11, unless he absolutely had to be. Oh so he's my like, God. you know, 11? His, wow. His work day was like from 11 to maybe 11 or noon to like four or, or, or five or so. And those are the days that he didn't play golf and he played a lot of golf. So he I was notorious I for that. And then he would stay up late and, you know, drink Cokes and stuff like that. And, uh, and, and tweet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you guys are like finding this funny, but in reality, that was a good thing. Cause if he was in the office more, he probably could have caused more damage. You're right. That's, true. Um, That's a good point. That's a good point. So, so he, he took it in the residence. I took, took the phone call where the same place, I took all these phone calls or conducted all my meetings in the White House Situation Room. So that's the White House. Yeah, just the White mm. House Situation Room. The right? Situation Room. Okay. The Situation not, Room. Not yeah. the situation. one with Wolf Blitzer. No, no, no. Yeah, not the Situation. I've, I've been in the Situation Room. This looks different. Yeah, and exactly. Laptop. And I do okay. also want to say people picture Trump doing these calls 
clearly in the Oval Office. Mm-hmm. No one's ever imagining him like in his underwear on his bed <laughs> with Fox on mute. That's. I think that's. I mean, that's kind of the way I imagine it. Yeah. Know? Or like uh, he's got his wife beater T-shirt yeah. on. Or yeah. Like that. Yeah. You know, oh he's like, yeah. He's got. He's got. His, he's got his lounge pants on. The same ones that he that he then wears uh, with a suit coat over him because yeah. there have been several pictures of him with like. What are clearly lounge pants that are supposed to look like suit pants. The best lounge pants. They're bigly the lounge pants. The lounge pants are the best. I got to tell you, you could tell that I don't hold back on this guy. And there's a reason for it. It's just that I I perceive him to be an enormous risk to this country. And my awe and reverence for the office of the president, which was extremely high and that had initially – probably inhibited me like exercising good judgment and believing that the president was actually behind this. I thought it was a bunch of like nefarious kind of like uh, sidekicks or something like that trying to do this initially, or I'd at least convinced myself of that, that there was no way that the president would corrupt his office to do this. It went from there to to now basically every opportunity dogging the guy because he's <laughs> yeah. such a danger to the country. And there's such a misconception about him. He is you, you, I think you guys have a good appraisal of him. Don't get, don't get me wrong, but there's a whole like, you know, tens of millions of people that think that he's like actually the man, and he's not. He's in no way re- resembles what any American would, any American male or female, frankly, for that matter, would assess to be like a, you know, a tough American man. Mm-hmm. Somebody that's decisive, somebody that's like, you know, uh, has a bit of swa- a swagger to him, uh, maybe um, smart. You know, <laughs> smart, virtuous, uh-huh. truthful, yeah. none right. of those things. Empathetic, yeah, kind, smart. And he yeah. degraded the office for everyone, yep. which was a yep. total and utter bummer, honestly. Yep. Yeah. I hate calling uh, President Trump, frankly, former President Trump, because he doesn't, he, I mean, yeah, he, he he sat in that position, he was elected, but he's, you know, he doesn't deserve it. Okay, so tell us who else was on the call you're in the Situation Room. Who else is in the room with you? And then are there other people in other rooms? On this one, we had more people in the room. We had the Vice President, a National Security Advisor, uh, a guy named Keith Kellogg, who's kind of like, damn, I don't know how that guy got, got into that position. But uh, he was a, a retired Army three-star general that seemed generally clueless, frankly. You had the you had my counterpart on the Vice President's staff. You had a press officer. Mm. I think there was, oh, my, my boss, uh, Tim Morrison. Is everyone like, what the fuck? I, what do you mean? Honestly, what I mean is the, you're listening to the thing and you yeah. are like, I can't, this is not happening. And he's saying, do me a favor. And everybody can hear it. And do you look yeah. at each other and go, oh, what? The, yeah. The people that knew, knew, right? But the people that didn't know, didn't understand like, you know, national security or foreign policy. You mean like Kellogg? Had, I'm had getting the vibe Kellogg didn't know. <laughs> Seem to think that was anything. I mean, he was a guy that I kind of got this impression. He didn't think anything was wrong with it, frankly. Yeah. But uh, uh, the professional staff, the the folks that were, you know, that had uh, years of service, uh, working out of departments and agencies, um, you know, even my even even Tim Morrison knew that there was something wrong with this thing. I think you know it's possible that Trump didn't know. I mean, I don't know. I I'm on the fence of, as to whether he he knew what he was doing was wrong. I think he probably did. Because he has this funny way of talking, like where he's he just thinks he's skirting around mm-hmm. the danger exactly. words when in fact yeah. he actually steps right in the middle because yep. he's yep. his own yep. worst enemy. Yep. Uh, so that was in my in the room in the Situation Room. There was that that handful of folks. Uh, the the president president in his underwear, you know, <laughs> yeah. taking presidents. I think Melania may have been giving him a back rub or something. 
Uh, I resent resent that. I would never touch him now. I never touch him now, Alexander. (laughs) Never now, no. I walk in, I walk away. I have my boyfriend. I don't touch him no more, okay? Okay. Please. So, then I think uh, Secretary Pompeo uh, was taking it from from a location. And your national security advisor, was it just um, old Bolton with the mustache or did you have anyone else? I, I was there uh, entirely under Bolton's tenure until this guy O'Brien, like the C C team or D team guy, came in to replace Bolton. Okay. Who's you know uh, even more of a toady, which is hard to believe. <laughs> uh, his claim to fame is that he framed uh, he freed ASAP Rocky from the Swedes. <laughs> that's right. What? That's right, ASAP Rocky. I forgot about that. <laughs> he freed ASAP Rocky from the Swedes, and that's how he became national security. Advisor. Oh my God! Horrifying. So what happened after after the call? So you knew it instantly when it came out of his mouth. You're like, okay, that's not gonna cut it. Um, how long did you have to go and like meditate and go? Should I tell anyone? As long as it took me to walk across the street and to, up to the third floor of my office. <laughs> and you That's know. That's it. I really, I mean, I knew where I was going as soon as I left. I was going, going to report this with the intent of, uh, you know, having more senior officials that have, you know, far greater contact with the president on a habitual basis saying, hey, Prez, this is going to, this is, this is going to blow back on you. You, you don't want to do this. And mm-hmm. that's what I had. That's what was my intent is to, you know, try to see if I could fix this in, in, in the proper channels. And at the same time, this is, you know, I told, I, I mentioned like the 14 hour days, 12, 14 hour days. I didn't have the time to really dwell on this thing. I made the report. I certainly was, it was bothering me, but I also had to figure out how to undo the damage of this hold on security systems. Cause that was going on simultaneously. And the very next day, I was putting together a meeting and finishing a paper and putting together a meeting, not for my level, not for the level above me, but for the level above that, the deputy, the deputy national security advisor with the deputies of all the, so the cabinet one step down. Mm. So I was putting together that meeting to try to figure out how do we fix this thing. And the whole idea of doing this uh, phone call in part was to get us back on track because of all the noise that was coming in and the president's hold on security assistance. I thought there was, you know, there's a, a chance that we could get this relationship back on track. And now I realized, well, you know, we have even more work to do to, to undo this damage. You, you walked across the street and you knew you were going to go report that he said this bullshit. But would you have always had to just report on the call in general? Like, here's what was said. Here's what went on. Yeah, I, no, there was there, there's like a kind of a more habitual you know process in which um, you know, the, a normal phone call, what you do. And, and in, in certain ways, I treated this like a normal phone call after reporting it uh after uh, after that you know just because the chief executive had a phone call doesn't mean stuff starts to automatically happen you actually have to have the staff to like take action on it so then when when i get criticized for like you know telling a couple of people about it it's because there was there was a discussion that there needed to be follow through on and that happens at our level yeah so i basically take that i tell like state department what they need to know i tell you know whatever yeah. and if it was defense, I would tell defense or intel community what they need to know. So I, I treated it in a lot of ways like a, a normal phone call. I said, hey, just so you know, this is th- these are the relevant uh, elements of this phone call for you. I didn't go, go into detail. I mean, I kind of frankly, probably in certain ways, um, I gave a full report to the attorneys at the White House and gave a, a slightly watered down version to, to my colleagues on the things that they needed to know in order to take action on them. Um, but that's what you do normally. And then you have a record. This, this transcript doesn't become public. It just gets kind of, 
it gets generated almost instantaneously and then comes back to me or the, whoever the director is and they kind of fix it up, make sure that there's nothing missing. And then it goes into the, you know, it goes into the president, presidential records. Uh, and you actually go about the business of implementing whatever was discussed. The, the difference here is that the president also typically being his own worst enemy released the transcript of his wrongdoing, which, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, it, was, it doesn't seem like the sa savviest of moves uh, helped counter probably move the, the impeachment, um, the decision to impeach, uh, to hold impeachment hearings along. So I reported it because I wanted, uh, I there was an element of demonstration in their first report that I told the senior officials, including I pulled my twin brother into this. That was kind of a jerk move, you know. He was an ethics official, but I probably didn't even have to drag him in there. I just wanted him as a witness. Yeah, sorry, so Eugene. Did. Sorry, Eugene. You need <laughs> yeah. to come deal with this yeah. with me. Don't let you me need, do this you need, You need a man up. You need to get my, yes. get my back on this one. Come on. Uh, so that was the, the kind of, if there was a damage control, it was that because, the you know, what I, I perceived the president doing something, you know, certainly awful, but potentially illegal. The rest of it was really policy coordination, the stuff I would do on a daily basis. Uh, be alert, aware for, of this. We need to understand how the Ukrainians are going to respond to this, you know, talking to the right folks. And then I also talked to that, that you know, goofball Tim Morrison. I was like, what do we do with this? Is this a change in policy? And he's like, he looks at me, he's like, no, we're not taking any action. And you, you got to understand that this is like a political appointee, you know, in certain ways, like-minded with the president. But there were a lot, were, were a lot of these things, like the president would just be erratic, offer ill-considered tweets and we would then wait we would have to determine whether this is a policy change the president wouldn't follow through on it he wouldn't say actually i do want to do this right it would be like you'd move on to the next stupid thing right and you would then have to do damage control because policy actually had not changed he was just just you're yeah. just saying something. so i was going to ask if you were scared because you know trump is a vindictive bitch and he's gonna <laughs> he fires everyone like at the drop of a hat were you expecting to be fired from the White House, I, I knew, you know, that there was there were there were risks, you know, from reporting it. And certainly very quickly, I, I you know, I knew uh, I uh, experienced retaliation. So I knew eventually like the vindictive. Uh, what do you call him? Vindictive what? bitch. What oh, yeah. That, there we go. Uh, so I knew that there was a good risk, a big risk there. But I thought, frankly, from I, I didn't necessarily perceive the dangers from my military career. I kind of thought, um a little bit of wishful thinking that, you know, I could, it's not the army um, because the army is filled with awesome individuals. Same thing with the department of defense. These are honorable individuals like, like me. It's the army leadership uh, mm -hmm. that we have now, mm -hmm. some of whom were selected by Donald Trump. And, you know, my twin brother was fired from the white house. Oh, So he's he got fired, fired too. Yeah. He's still suffering some retaliation. And at the same time, Michael Flynn's brother, you know, was elevated in his time at the, at the Pentagon from like, I think, I think a two star to four star. Tell me that there was not, they didn't think that they were currying favor with the president. And in like, you know, and putting us out to pasture, they didn't think that they were like, you know, they, they were doing something that was going to be, you know, careerist and, and advance their own interests. Mm. So that's the, that's my issue with the leadership. He, and while at the same time, I, you know, completely am grateful to, to uh, the, the army for everything I, I learned from it, from it and, all the benefits I um, I got over, over a pretty successful career. Really quick, uh, in your book, you say that your dad, he at this time, you say in your book, he was a Trump supporter? Yeah, earlier, uh, I'd say uh, at this time, meaning like, you know, when, when all this stuff went down with the phone call, yes. But by the time, you know, the president started criticizing me and he mm -hmm. got a, 
better understanding because I, I just, I, you know, I couldn't share like all the details with him. But when he got a better understanding of all the president's wrongdoing and my mom forbade Fox News in the house, you know, between those two things, uh, he started to get deprogrammed and said, wait, doesn't sound like he's delivering on like, you know, draining the swamp, bring this country, making this country great again or anything like that. And he parted ways with him. He didn't appreciate uh, Trump, you know, attacking his kid. Um, we were going to ask you if you how you Julie wanted to know how you deal with the trauma of this. Like if you put Trump's face on like a boxing thing and yeah. Taekwondo it. And I shit. need to know. I mean, yeah. I don't pay that much mind to him. He doesn't I, I have no respect for him um, or his his acolytes. So I really don't spend a huge amount of time. What I do spend a lot of time on is working, you know, with my non-governmental organization. I'm on the board of the Renew Democracy Initiative, figuring out how to undo the damage that these folks are creating uh, and, you know, thinking about how to bring this country together instead of tearing it apart. Yeah. Accountability, you know, uh, understanding all of the, the damage that the previous administration has done and hardening government against these kinds of abuses. Uh, so that's that's where I apply my energies. And do you have a desire to work with Russia and or Ukraine anymore? Uh, work with or work on? Uh, work on, work on. Uh, no, so I mean, I've been, uh, I've been uh, actually fortunately prolific uh, writing a number of articles about uh, the, the threats we face with regards to, you know, Russia, China, um, what we need, what kind of support we need to offer Ukraine, uh, there's a famous Zygmunt Brzezinski quote. He's a former national security advisor for Carter. And he says, uh, he said something um, to the extent of, it should not be underestimated uh, uh, that Russia without Ukraine ceases to become an empire, but Russia with Ukraine subordinated and suborned automatically becomes an empire. So it just becomes a much, much more capable, potent adversary. Um, so, you know, keeping Russia out of, uh, I mean, keeping Ukraine out of Russia's grubby mitts which is where they want to be right. is something that we should be helping him. Now we're going to ask you again to tell us about your new book. We like to imagine that it's an autobiographical fantasy starring you and your brother as twin Harry Potters and Trump as Voldemort. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I think it's more like a Jason Bourne novel, I think, actually. Ooh. Uh, it's called Here Right Matters, which is a line out of my testimony. Mm-hmm. Uh, after uh, Sean Patrick Maloney, the uh, representative from New York, asked the question, why did I think it was you know okay to call the president out on his shit, to paraphrase. Yeah, I mean, he may have used different words, but yeah, you know, and I, <laughs> I explained to him that this this country is different. My, all my brothers have served to kind of advance the interests of the of the United States yep. and that uh, here right matters. I, I refer to Trump when I speak about the book as like a, a he's the pivot point, like a plot twist, a, a, a foil. You know, um, he's a useful idiot for my book, actually, to, uh, which to tell the, te- the story of doing the right thing under adverse circumstances. And what I do in the book is I actually, I talk about, you know, aspects of my background, uh, my perspectives, being uh, an immigrant kid, uh, living overseas, serving this nation overseas and seeing, you know, combat zones and where things don't matter, where right doesn't matter. Uh, what What I learned from my experiences in the military and how all that came together to both report the, the phone call and the president's wrongdoing do, and abuse of power, and then how to navigate it afterwards through, yeah. So, so making their initial report is one thing, but then you have to actually follow through on it when the lights are on and like, mm-hmm. you know, you can't just kind of hide out, hide out in the, in the back or something like that. So, you know, uh, testifying and then dealing with the consequences of that, starting over. It's like a, it's like a basically a microcosm of like a macro like we all do that even if you think about like me too or any of the things mm-hmm. anybody goes through 
at work or in a situation where there's a lot at stake and you're like, huh, am I going to sacrifice my own personal integrity or am I going to fucking do the right thing? Because here, right matters. I mean, honestly, right hasn't mattered for a while. I think during Trump, everybody sort of just Mm -hmm. even people who thought that they were fighting for the right thing will sometimes would do it in such a dirty way. And it's the book is so dope in that way. Like, it's not just like the hot goss of all the douchebags you dealt with. It's more like, (laughs) yeah, that's why you're an icon, because it's not easy to do what you did. And you, in fact, did lose like a lot of shit. And I'm sure you were getting uh, you were worried about your family's safety at a certain point. You had to have been these motherfuckers that attacked the Capitol. I'm sure they got your number somehow. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, I was, uh, you know, I had some some training along the way, especially going to Moscow to to understand my uh, my personal security uh, needs. And we, we did ha- have to increase, like we had a, like a team, uh, threat assessment team come out and kind of make sure that we, we had what we needed with regards to security. They and like removed all the doorknobs so you couldn't get any poison <laughs> doorknobs. Yeah, um, that's right. So, and then it, it also tells the beautiful story of me meeting NatSec hobbyist, uh, Rachel, my wife, and you know, and all that stuff. Oh, that's uh, nice. That's, that's so sweet. Yeah. I would imagine most people would walk away from this book thinking, shit, we don't have it that bad. It yeah, could be oh, worse. that's cool. It's, a, it's kind of uplifting. Um, and I think, you know, certainly for, for Don, um, right didn't matter. Yeah, no. But for a lot of people, it did matter. And a lot of people in government, a lot of people in America, it matters. But I'd say, you know, the vast majority of Americans, it matters. But there are a, bu- a bunch of loud and obnoxious folks that it doesn't matter for. So, mm-hmm. and uh, what I encourage, for those quiet people where right does matter, we need to make right matter. Okay, yeah, exactly. It's a lot of right mattering there, but you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I've pivoted my pure right matters to make right matter tagline. Okay, so I'm gonna yeah. have to tag. That's really good. It does matter. So before we let you go, um, let's talk about what the next chapter holds for you. Are you gonna be an orthodontist, or what are we looking at here? You guys need a tech tech support guy on on this uh, on this pod. I mean, I'm I'm open to possibilities here. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. We do. Uh, do you want to do um, IT? Are you doing an, a, a doctorate in IT? If you are, we yeah. could use an IT guy. Uh, I'm lecturing occasionally, kind of guest lecturing, stuff like that. I'm working on a doctorate. I'm uh, at a think tank, a DC think tank, um, doing some consulting. And then, you know, kind of just still trying to figure out what it, what exactly is I want to do. I've got, as my wife describes, like about five different jobs at the moment. <laughs> Yeah. So I need to probably settle on one or two of them at some point. But uh, I do like being my own boss. I don't like, you know, I don't, I'm not accountable to anybody. If the boss is a dick, it mean, means I'm a dick to myself or something like yeah. that. It's, yeah. It's your next book. Uh, it's your yeah. next book. I, I, on my very first day out of uniform, I, I wrote an op-ed uh, in, in the Washington Post. I said, I want to be active to on advocating for public servants that too often don't have a voice for, of their own because they're in government. I want to... Uh, I can keep writing about and uh, counseling on foreign policy and national security to advance U.S. national security interests. And I also want to um, hold people accountable. So especially like the military folks in Congress that have failed to live up to their uh, oaths of office, uh, I, I call them out or uh, help people that are running against them and stuff like that. Those are yeah. things that I'm involved in i mean everything you're saying is like everything that we want to believe that government is and like um you know people get cynical and we talk so much shit and we make fun and whatever but those but but i want you to know from my heart what you're saying (laughs) is 
so meaningful because we don't believe that that exists. So the Lady, fact that I'm you're your saying head. it, you yeah. are. I'm your I, I, you could turn me. Okay, <laughs> you are. <laughs> you, what you're saying is so. It just doesn't. We haven't heard these things. Yeah. I mean, certainly Joe Biden got in and Kamala Harris and all that, and that excites, excites us particularly. But what you're saying, it's like we haven't heard anyone speak like that about how to run uh, a country or a government or what democracy is or what freedom really means and how to treat people and what ethics are and morality. So the fact that you're saying all that is just like a very whoppy. A real patriot. An yes. actual patriot. Exactly. It's exciting. Tell our 14 listeners um, where they can find you and fan out and buy your book. Uh, Twitter at a Vinman. Um, that's my biggest platform. Uh, I, I'm on Instagram. Somebody stole my name, so I had to do Here Right Matters. It was probably uh, Russian. <laughs> I reported him after yeah. I established it. You know, Here Right Matters is my uh, Insta, 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 Instacart Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. I handle. Exactly. Great. Um, Perfect. And then uh, let's see. AlexanderVinmanBook.com is the website and. At your all your favorite bookstores, uh, Amazon and all that kind of stuff. Okay. For the book. Uh, you guys get the book. Everybody cool is reading it. The icon interview is over, and now it's time for us to chop it up. She chopping broccoli. Chopping broccoli. Chopping broccoli. She chopping broccoli. Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. Wow. He was I, great. He was great. He's funny, clearly very smart and understated. Um, I just was so impressed. I'm just so impressed with him and everything he said. And I, I maybe got... A little corn cheese, corn cheese on him, but what he said about ethics and and doing the right thing, like really fucking got to me. Yeah, <laughs> it really it, did. Honestly, like the the book is inspiring. It's as inspiring as he is. It doing the right thing, and particularly speaking truth to power. And it wasn't even just to topple like the, a giant. It right. was just for to do the right thing. A lot of times, it's really thankless. Yeah, the person who does it really doesn't get anything out of it, and the person who did the wrong thing never really has any consequences yeah, or gets punished. Right, right. It's more about just living with your fucking self yep. and not becoming a person who can live with that kind of thing yep. day in and day out. Yep. Because that's when you your your soul starts to mm -hmm. degrade and shrivel and erode away. And it and all of ours did a little in 2020. And I think like it's funny that this all happened in 2019. Mm -hmm. And then 2020 sort of came and went and now he's here with this book and we're reliving this pre-pandemic thing. And it and I'm finding it really, really, really inspiring. Yeah, I am, too. He's sort of like spearheading or opening up the, the doorway, the pathway to analyzing. And we're all in therapy now together trying to figure out what the fuck just happened those last four years. Yeah. And it isn't just Trump. It's half. It's it, first of all, it's all of us. Secondly, it's half of the country. You know what I mean? When you break it down, it's like it's half the country is severely, severely damaged. We're all severely damaged. And the people who run this country, he's he's shining light on all of the holes in all of us. I and love it. I love it. Yeah, I love it. me too. I love and, it. I, and I feel like 
we didn't get into it because we didn't have time. And honestly, it's a long interview. We could have talked to him for a whole nother oh hour. And we didn't. He's actually the, he talked about that organization that's doing mm-hmm. the bipartisan mm-hmm. situation mm-hmm. to heal. And we've heard kind of a lot of things like that. And even let's say, you know, people have people have been sort of talking around that for a minute. But he actually could be the leader to spearhead that because because his dad was a Trump supporter and we we did a ton of research on him and we got the distinct feeling that he was um, most likely a Republican prior mm-hmm. to when he entered. And a lot of people in the fucking military are Republican. That's mm-hmm. just the way it goes. And Republicans put money into the Defense Department mm-hmm. and they all want money for all their gear and their shit. And so they like Republicans. They're usually Republican. We, we can only assume he went to work for the National Security Council as a Republican. Then he got severely turned off to Donald Trump. And like a lot of Republicans during that time, they weren't realizing that that people were being radicalized on Facebook and Fox News. And they're sitting around like, this is just a temporary thing. This guy sucks. He's on everyone's nerves. (laughs) Apparently he wakes up at 11 and stops working at Mm -hmm. four. He's a total douche. And when he leaves, we'll all go back to being Republicans. And clearly that's what Alexander Vindman thought. And then he blew the whistle. He was really an inadvertent whistleblower. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was clear in his interview with us, but... He didn't mean to blow the whistle. He only just wanted it to be handled internally, and then right. it became this big thing. Right. Um, but then the Republicans talked shit about him. Mm-hmm. They said he wasn't a patriot. Mm-hmm. They said he was a traitor. All of Fox News talked shit about him. And then, to add insult to injury, because Fox News is one thing, and the Republicans in Congress are one thing, when the army kicks you out, now you're looking at Republicans aren't what you thought they were, and they've completely changed, and the whole scene has changed. And there's got to be a lot of people out there that are looking around like, well, this isn't what it used to be. And they didn't realize it. And somehow something's going to wake them up. And I think he's just the person to uh, maybe like deprogram some of these people like he did with his dad. Right. I don't know how you don't listen to his story and not not just the story It was the story. Then what happened, then what he did, then what he went through, then coming through it and then and then being able to look back and go. And that's why I keep asking or I kept going trying to get to the point of like he you heard Donald Trump say that. And do you look around the look around the room and and look for the eye contact for everyone in the room being like, what in the fuck just is going on here? But that isn't happening because they're all as rotted and corrupt as he is. And the rotten, 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 rottenness has devoured so many people in this country. It's. It's it's astounding. And it's power. Absolute power absolutely corrupts. And we got liberals on it, too. Yes, of course. Yes. It's just it's always going to be the powers that be. And it's always going to be there. And that's fine. But the but right now it's the it feels or at least through Trump, it felt like it was the majority. And now it is now where with Jojo and Kiki and with him and the things and with things that are being exposed and revealed and are happening. It's like, oh, my God, it was way. We were living in a in a house made of termites. Yeah. Literally a house made. You want to talk about cleaning the swamp. Girl, that wasn't even the yeah. swamp would be a delight to live in. Yeah, next you got to what tent, we realized. Tent the house. We are. We've got to tent the house. So 
that's it for this episode of Dumb Gay Politics. Thank you guys for listening. If you're new to us and you haven't signed up for our Patreon podcast, please go to patreon.com slash dumbgaypolitics and check it out. We have a free one there for you to listen to. Just scroll down the locked podcast until you get to the one from last September, September 2020, called Windows Up Sing Time. There's no ads or structure or anything (laughs) resembling a real show. Mm -hmm. And we don't talk any politics on our Patreon podcast. We are still very offensive and annoying over there, but it's just in a more organic, unprepared, what's the point of this podcast, go get some fucking content kind of way. Right, Mamma? That is absolutely correct. And guess what? Your congratulations. We do two a week. You can choose whether you want to sign up for one or two. They're both an hour and it's a dollar for one and two dollars for two. If you're not sure you'll have the time, then sign up for one a week and you can always go in and cancel it if it's too much. Or you can easily upgrade to two a week if you decide you want more. And you can easily cancel when we become too insufferable for your ears. It's not some stressful contract. It's one fucking dollar. Patreon doesn't lock you in for life. It's so easy. You have all the power. You want to talk about starting about empowerment and activation? Do it here. Do it now. We got you. And then you can import the Patreon podcast right into your regular podcast player. You don't ever have to go to stupid fucking Patreon again as long as you live. God knows we don't want to. And as always, it's been real and it's been fun. But mostly it's been gay and it's been dumb. And iconic. Iconic. How'd you do, I? See you've met my faithful handyman. He's just a little broad dying because when you knocked... He thought you were the candy man. Don't get strung up by the way I look. Don't judge a book by its cover. I'm not much of a man by the light of day. But by night I'm one hell of a lover. I'm just a sweet transvestite. From transsexual. Transylvania <laughs> Let me show you a rhyme and maybe play you a sign You look like you're both pretty groovy Or if you want something visual That's not too abysmal We could take in an old Steve Reeves movie I'm glad we caught you at home Could we use your phone? We're both in a bit of a hurry. Right. We'll just say where we are, then go back to the car. We don't want to be any worry. Well, you got caught with a flat wheel. How about that? Well, babies, don't you panic. By the light of the night, it'll all seem all right. I'll get you a satanic mechanic. I'm just a sweet transvestite From transsexual Transylvania <laughs> Why don't you stay for the night? Right. Or maybe a bite right. I could show you my favorite obsession I've been making a man With blonde hair and a tan And he's good for relieving my tension I'm just a sweet transvestite From transsexual Transylvania Hey!
Strider. Crown transsexual Transylvania. So, come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. I see you shiver with anticipation. But maybe the rain is really to blame. So I'll remove the cause. <laughs> But not the symptom. <laughs> <laughs> 